Uh, what's up, everybody? Uh, back at it, Chasing the Hook podcast. I got brother Johnny Parker out of uh, Local 5, Washington, D.C. Um, so with that, Johnny, uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, brother? Just uh, let us know what your book number is. Obviously, your local's uh, Local 5, but uh, can you just kind of tell us how you became an iron worker? Well, my book number is 114-1814. <clears throat> I became an iron worker because of my brother. I left home when I was 17 and needed a job. My brother was working in Houston at the time down in Dallas, and I went to work for Shaw Steel at the Frito-Lay National Headquarters, Plano, Texas, November of 1984. Okay. So obviously that was a structural job for you, Johnny, or was that, uh, did you get your foot in the rods like a lot of us? No, nah, strictly structural. Okay. So when you got there, I mean, obviously, uh, you, your brother was an iron worker. So you kind of, you were aware of what you're going to be getting yourself into, huh? I well, a little bit. He tried to explain to me what bridging was and we were living in the van at the time. And of course, went on, went on the job and found out what it was. <clears throat> um, and, and went from there, started out as a gopher, um, Got a chance to start decking on the eighth floor when a guy froze, and that was my shot, and I, I I thrived ever since. Hell yeah! So what was that like, Johnny? Getting you know getting that call up, man, because that's kind of a, how a lot of us get in those uh, those connecting positions or like a, a decking job or whatever is just by being there and being in the right place at the right time. Can you kind of just that's, tell us how that happened? Well, again, we were in Denver at the time. It was my second job. It was an eleven story in Cherry Creek. Uh, a cat was up laying deck. It was non-union, of course, when I started. Um, he froze on, I think it was the sixth floor, uh, and an elevator shaft. So I, they called me to take his spot, and I took his spot. Uh, a guy named David Deven took uh, a liking to me and showed me the rope. And then uh, the next job we went to, they needed a connector. I was bolting up, and he gave me my shot, and uh, I set iron for two hours. It was a little bank, and it was over with, and then away I went. Hell yeah. So you obviously got that, uh, once you started connecting, you got that bug, I'm assuming. Absolutely. If you're an arrogant, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, the hot shot and all that. And if you're good enough, you know, and you can climb around, that's half of it. Yep. And then you learn the way. Now, uh, June 1st, 1987 is when we work ran out down in Dallas and we came up to uh, Maryland here, did a, a precast job on Goody Drive. We went on our motorcycles to visit my grandmother that we uh, haven't seen in years. Anyway, it took a little longer. When we came back, our job was gone. So the, pre- the precast job, uh, Tate Steele was doing the structural. So we went to work for them. And then at the Air and Space Museum downtown D.C. And then Ron Borza for Local 5 was organizing, watched us, said, hey, you know, you're the Parker Brothers. We'd like to have you. Uh, a week later, we went down to the hall and uh, – signed up nine months later we got our books we we came in under the trainee program we did two classes hell yeah blueprints and glazing hell yeah we were setting iron the whole time so you know we were we were a commodity and back then there was so much work you could you, you could call your chats yeah so like with that johnny you know working in our capital bro i mean like so you worked on obviously some probably high high high-end jobs out there you know what i mean like i'm uh, were you able to work on like some of our monuments and stuff like that in your career I worked at the 500-foot level on the Washington Monument. Uh, had to replace three angles the company couldn't do, and they wanted their retention money, so we went in there and did that. But I worked on the D.C. Convention Center, on the, the Lorton Trash Burner Powerhouse back in, uh, I guess that was 1988. Um, the Gallery Place, that was in the late 90s, early 2000s. That was a hell of a job. Um, running work, my last big job was 414 White Street, Baltimore, Maryland, the third tallest building there. 
and you were able to hang iron and do all the iron work without being tied off. And you did, I mean, and all the safety stuff that, you know, that is obviously good for us. And nowadays, you know what I mean? So what was that like, like working iron when you just could just be free and just go do it? Well, how it was, I caught the tail end of that and I'm, I'm glad I did. It was a different thing. You were almost looked down upon if you were setting iron and you tied off, you were, you know, you weren't a true man or whatever. There was a lot of yeah. macho bullshit going on. Yep. But to be honest, you know, even now with the OSHA subpart R and they let you do it 30 feet up without being tied off. Yep. Uh, it's the way to go for setting iron, but anything else you need to be tied off. And even the old time, you know, the, the bolt up men that they would tie off when need be, you know, not all the time, but they did it when it's, you know, yeah. When you're working 400 feet in the air, it's just part of it. Absolutely, Johnny. And so, like, you know, a lot of people did see, you know, like, if you look back in history, everybody had, like, a pigtail or rope lanyard on them. And what, you know, what I was told by a lot of old-timers, man, is that they got to that place and they would actually tie themselves off. It wasn't um, – I mean, you had those people that didn't tie off, obviously, but – a big part of it was was using that pigtail. I mean, I don't know how much that actually did when your D-ring was on the side of your belt, right? Uh, well, no, you spliced it into your belt. You didn't ah. use the D-ring. You spliced that onto your belt, and then, you, yeah, it was a running end, and that was it. That's how I started. No shit. No kidding. And then they started doing with the lanyards, and then in the early 90s, they started pushing the harnesses and all that. But again, back then, you had a rope, and if you needed it, you tied on if you could. But if not, you just, you just, you climbed. Hell Yeah going through like like when you first got into dc and stuff was it and obviously being organized was it difficult for for you and your brother to actually go work iron did you get shit from the like the members at that time or did you kind of were you brought in like a family <laughs> we were brought in like a, a a family now there was a couple of diehards that said oh you didn't do the four four years and all that but uh, we did our apprenticeship non-union. Yeah. And the proof is in the pudding. When we joined and set iron, if you could set 100, iron, 100 pieces of iron in a day, yeah, you were in that club, and we, we fit right in. And that, that's how it was. Either you could do it or you can't. It's like when we joined, uh, you know, we were making $14 an hour non-union. Uh, that don't sound like nothing, but at the time, that was good money. Oh, and yeah. more than a normal person. So our first job union was for William Steele. And a man named Mac McGwelch came out and he put a chair by the outrig of our crane. And he watched us for 20 minutes, give or take. Yeah. And at the end of that, he gave us the thumbs up to Parker Brothers are worth the money. And then, then how we got our books so quick, kind of, besides our deal we made, at the time we sold our union hall on New York Avenue. So we, my brother and I went in on a Saturday and took down the little mock building and loaded it up on the trucks. And anyways, you know, you help them, they help us. And they just pushed us right through. And it was, it was and to this day, I'm, I'm part of that family. Hell yeah, man. And that's kind of how it works. Johnny's like, man, you, you know, a lot of people have a misinterpretation, I think. I mean, obviously, like you said, we have those people, but usually most people are, are very welcoming and, and want to help you out. Uh, but like once you got going, Johnny, what, did you find yourself just working you and your brother chasing the hook or did you guys kind of is that like your partner for the majority of your career? Did you kind of find yourself getting away from your brother? How did that work? Well, the first six years, me and my brother were partners. When we boomed out to Chicago, they put both of our names on the ticket. And that's how it was. Hell yeah. And, and to be quite honest, what happened was when little little brother Johnny started getting as good or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, there was some tension in that. And uh, the last job we connected together was uh, across from the Rockville Metro Center for the coffee. And uh, after that, I never connected with them again. And then my next partner was a man named Kenny Edelblut. He's a big shot for American Bridge. He just retired too. Okay, a, a fine partner. We did many sets, tens of thousands of tons together. Many jobs. 
Hell yeah. So, so like for instance, out there, Johnny, do you, you guys get a lot of bridge work? I mean, I, I know you got like the, the Woodrow Wilson bridge or, or Woodrow Wilson bridge. And then you, is that the Chesapeake Bay bridge or are those two separate bridges? Or am I, am I just fucked up there? No, two separate bridges. Chesapeake Bay is a big, uh, suspension bridge type deal. The Woodrow Wilson's a regular steel bridge is big. Okay. But they're the only bridges we did here, like back in the day, mainly were the overpasses and little chump iron type deals like that. Gotcha. But, uh, the Chesapeake Bay is as big as it comes, man. And the Woodrow Wilson, our biggest picks were 300 tons and just over 300 feet long. Were you guys actually, were you guys using like spindle jacks on that job, Johnny? Or were you guys using like, uh, like tandem picks with the rig or like, how, how were you guys hanging those big bridge girders? Uh, that was all tandem picks on barges. We had the, we had the hundred ton, uh, stiff Lake Derrick on barge. And then the big Mac, it's a 4,100 series three on the barge. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. <laughs> So, like, but what kind know, of chokers talking, were you using for that? The old cat heads. We never oh. used the cat heads. We had them out there, but we never did it for the for the drop-ins. We just used the cranes. Hell, yeah. So, like, what kind of, like, what size rigging were you using on those picks? Like, fucking three-inch chokers, four-inch chokers? Uh, well, no, a lot of it was we used Kevlar slings, and then uh. there, was, there were frames built up, and then you used the bean clamps, and the bean clamps are good for 70 tons a piece. The main bar was 70, and that would be times four. Gotcha. So, uh, and American Bridge makes all their own shackles and everything. It's it's kind of a, their own entity. So let me ask you this, Johnny, because I've never had the the uh, privilege of working for American Bridge. I mean, a lot of people fucking say shit about that. But what was it like working for American Bridge? Like, to me, what I've always heard is that they're work-wise in that way. They, they're very smart. They plan out their jobs very well, and then they just – what I've heard is that they go very smooth. Is that, am I bullshitting there or what? Well, you know what, as a whole, there's a lot of truth to what you said, but you know what? It's just like anywhere. It boils down to the people. Yeah. The first time I boomed out to Chicago, I was worried about keeping up with those big city iron workers. Yeah. And then when I got there, they're the same everywhere you go. You got good ones and you got sharp ones yep. and you pay attention to the sharp ones and you watch the dumb ones so they don't kill you or somebody else. Hell yeah. So American Bridge on the whole, they had their shit together, man. Hell yeah. You know, they, they, it was all planned to the T and, uh, I never wanted any part of it cause it was like 90 something miles each way. Okay. But, uh, I ended up doing half the outer loop and connected all the inner loop. And, uh, I'm glad I did. You can't beat that experience on water. So what's it like hanging iron with a, a stiff leg Derek? I've never had the opportunity of that either. Is that, is that different than using a rig? I mean, just cause what I've seen of a Derek or, you know, what the pitchers, it's always been on like some type some type of tower, right? And I've always asked guys, like, what's it like to hang iron with the Derek? Just do you get that same kind of drift? Do you get that? I mean, what's it like? Well, the biggest thing, it's, it's on, on that particular Derek, it had four four shafts that run on, on, on the cab house. They all run the same direction. Okay. So you could work up on the hook and boom up on the hook, or you could boom down and come down, but you cannot hold the load. Ah, it just didn't work that way. No, now, see, the swingers, yeah. No, and once you got the hang of it, it was no problem. But the biggest thing was the swinging of it. Okay. It's all snatch blocks and swingers. It's not like swingers on a conventional crane. Yeah. It's drum cables. So they might be swinging and swinging, the drum cables turning, nothing's happening. Depends if you got 300 tons on a hook. All yeah. of a sudden, when it takes it, it goes. No so shit. So you have to really learn. I, I almost uh, had a catastrophic accident the first time I did it. Was swinging the crane. It wasn't going swinging one more. And all of a sudden, it, it swung so hard. Uh, I had 260 tons bump up beside the crane lattice. Oh, but shit. That ain't a pucker moment. No, anyways, I learned a great amount of respect that night. But anyways, once you learn how to swing the Derricks, it's just like anything else, piece of cake. So, so it's just, so like with, with saying that, Johnny, is it just basically calling, calling them off a lot, 
lot sooner than you think? Is that what the difference is, or what, what was the technique, or what did you find that you? Could- I found the best thing if, if you could, if you could, if you could see the drum. There's two drums, one on each side of the cab house. One turns one way, one turns the other way. Okay, and that's how it turns all the snatch box. I would, if I could, I would watch those drums turn. Okay, you couldn't go by the boom. And once you know, it, it, you, the wheels would be turning and turning, and then you could stop, and all of a sudden, everything would kind of move, 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 and then swing three feet. No kidding. So you just had to watch it and get the experience, and then once you got the experience with it, you know what it could do and it can't, and then and there you go. Would you say that it's it's better than using a rig, or it, a rig is way better? It's just it's there's no comparison. Uh, it's just different. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of apples and oranges in a way. They all got gotcha. their idiosyncrasies. Yeah. The old Derek, you, you got to remember, it's got a live boom on it. Okay. You let your foot off the brake, it's coming out. Yep, yep. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and that's how you, but one thing, that uh, Derek would pick 100 tons with the boom flat out. No shit. Yeah, man. Damn, dude. You look at all the old-timey ironworker pictures of, like, American Bridge from the 30s and 40s, you'll see some of them stiff leg Derek's. Those yeah. are the same one. Hell Yeah. No, I've always heard, like, I started looking at some of the capa- or the charts for a Derek, and it's just outrageous. Like you said, they're a flat stick. You're picking a 100 ton. That's just, to me, is just unreal. It's crazy. And then, and then we also had the Lee Bear out there. I can't, it was a 450-ton crane. I can't remember the numbers on it. Uh, there are all some, uh, some picking mothers, but uh, I stick with the old Manitowoc 4100 uh, ringer on the barge. Hell, yeah. We had the corner of it underwater picking, had 260 tons on that thing, man. Hell, yeah. 4100 is a badass, dude. Yup. And then you get them rollers. They would panic about the rollers coming up. That's all part of it. You're not even working the cats yeah. until you get the rollers on. Anyways, we've, we've maxed them burgers out, man. We've had many people pacing, pacing the boards. Hell, yeah, Johnny. So, like, next question, you know, you brought up that you've been in Chicago. You and your brother went and worked out in Chicago. How did you find yourself? I mean, obviously, did it dry up in D.C. and you just you, you made your way to the Midwest or you heard that there was a job there? How did you find yourself in Chicago? I worked out a little tight 90 here. I'm, I'm, I mean, we're from Chicago to begin with. My dad was a union sheet metal worker, local 63, for 33 years. Okay. Never could get any iron workers up there. Anyways, work got a little dry here and we had a chance to go up home. And we went up there, and up there it's different. You go in, you sign your name, you put it on a piece of paper, they put it on a hat. They call out the jobs to all the local men, and when they're done, they pull names out of the hat. It made it a little more equal. And like I said, the cool thing, they put my brother and me on the same ticket because we always went out connecting. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, I did the whole summer up there and had a blast, man. Made a bunch of annuity money. It was a great – 1990 was a good year. Hell, yeah, man. Um, that wasn't around the time of, like, when they were redoing the uh, Soldier Field and shit when they were expanding it, was it? Um, I don't think so. My okay. big job we did there was at O'Hare Field for Kettler Brothers. We were setting up. Uh, it was the biggest ballroom in the Midwest. It had 44-ton jack trusses in it. Almost Damn. lost one, but it's a different story. But, yeah, just beautiful work. And the thing about it is, in Chicago, you make real money. Yeah. That's big money up there, man. Even now, you know, yeah. Big I, money. See, it's funny that you said that, Johnny. I'm born and raised out right outside of Chicago, uh, Kankakee. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but that's where I was born yeah, and raised. At. Yeah, <laughs> I'm born and raised I from Kankakee. I used to buy, buy drugs from a guy named Kankakee. Anyway, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I was born in Park Ridge. Hell yeah, dude! I used to hang out there all the time, man. Hell yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Johnny, how were you? So did you find yourself going, uh, you know, you worked iron in Chicago. Did you find yourself going into the other major locals, maybe like Milwaukee or going into, you know, going back to like New York city or any of that kind of stuff? I've never got to do that. The other time I boomed out, we did a shutdown at a cement plant in Traverse city, Michigan. So we worked out as a 340 local. Okay. And the BA came out to the jab out in the middle of nowhere. So it was kind of nice, but 
Uh, I boomed out to Denver and I boomed out to Michigan, uh, of course, all around here. Yeah. I'm in Dallas is where I started. I worked in Dallas, Austin, and Houston. So are you, I mean, Johnny, I guess I didn't ask you, like, when we were, like, just talking and texting and stuff, are you still working iron now? I mean, like, do you do anything? Like, do you go back as a retiree and work, like, 40 hours or anything? No, not at all. I'm, uh, I have 26 credits in the union. Okay. Two years, uh, let's, let's go back in time, 11, 15, 90, uh, I was just made general foreman, and none of my men showed up. So I was piddling around on the deck. And uh, Miller and Long were stripping on the wrong side of the building, and some wood came off, hit me in the head. I fell 22 foot, got impaled on a three-quarter-inch conduit sticking out of the slab and went through my hips. Anyways, that laid me up for a little bit, and then I, I actually uh, went, got retrained as a nurse, but I wanted my pension money and all that. So four years later, I joined in 1997 and went back to the hall. And I did my whole career kind of disabled, uh, but I did it. Uh, anyways, two years ago, my shoulder finally went out. Come to find out, both my shoulders have half-torn rotator cuffs, and my back is shot. So I applied for my Social Security disability, and I won. Didn't have to go to court or nothing. Hell yeah. They reward you if, you if you work hard and all that. They do reward you, man. Absolutely. So you're, I mean, you you put your you put your work in, and now, you, I mean, you're getting the fruits of your labor. You didn't have any issues and hassles, because I've heard some of, some of the hassles from our retirees, Johnny, on, on all that stuff, man. Um, Everything's going the way it's said. It's not. Uh, there's been a couple of little bumps, but all in all, I love retirement, man. And, uh, you know, I worked 30 years and this and that, and now I just mess with my motorcycles. I don't ever have to worry about work. It's it's a great thing. It's just it. Yeah, man. And that's, that's the part that I can't wait for is just to enjoy all that stuff. Like, what do you, what do you think about ironwork now, Johnny? I mean, I don't think you've been out that long. I'm sure like Todd reached out to me and, and, and told me about you. So obviously you have some connections towards the apprenticeship or with the local, like, what are you seeing nowadays? I mean, are you, are you agreeing how, how you see things or like, what's your opinion on it? Well, my opinion now is I don't know a lot of the people now cause, cause I came in a different time, but I've been going to the meetings now and the retirement meetings. I think it's great. These guys, Todd especially, you know, uh, they're taking this time to, to, to really teach these guys. And for years, I had a problem with the hall. I, I thought it was kind of lacking as far as what they taught. And I considered, you know, how would I do it different, blah, blah, blah. But these guys are doing it now. And there's some good men and all that. And, and they're, they're getting the right type of people. And it's going to carry it on. And it's going to carry us on and through the next generation. So I feel good about it. No, I mean, D.C. has the pearl. I mean, like, your, your guys' apprenticeship uh, like your building, your guys's facility, you guys just, man, it is just so work-wise. I watch all the stuff on social media that, uh, that, that they put out. Right. And it's just like, man, it just blows me away. You guys got an overhead crane. You guys are building, uh, uh, rebar, rebar walls in, inside. You know what I mean? It's just so work-wise. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a good thing. And see, nothing beats experience. And you know, I could say that now it's, it's cliche a lot of times, Yeah. but again, nothing beats experience and you can learn a lot out of the book, but you know, when I came up, uh, and I started at six bucks an hour, by the way, and it was good morning. Nobody would teach you anything, especially non-union. They they would not because for whatever, scared you might be better than them, smarter, whatever. Um, and then once I got to the hall, it was kind of different. And I teach everybody. I always have anything. I, I want you to be better than me. And I don't have a problem with it. A lot of cats are this and that. but And that's what's going on at the hall now. They're teaching all the tricks. You know, a lot of times the tricks you had to learn on your own. And if you weren't worth it, they wouldn't show it to you. Absolutely, Johnny. It's like you, you and I both know, like, I mean, even when I was like uh, in my early career, man, you had those uh, those foremen that hid the, the, the drawings were fucking so tight. They're up their ass. You know what I mean? They didn't want you. They they didn't want to show you anything. Right. And like, that's that's not what we're that's not what we're about. Right. We're here to teach the next generation. Absolutely. And again, that's all part of it. Again, that's that's confidence problems. Yep. You know, yep. When people are kind of ham and eggers is what I call them. 
the wannabes or never was. Yep. You know, they got to have something to keep the edge. Yep. My edge was always my work. You can say what did you want about me after the job or shenanigans, but when it comes to setting iron and doing my craft, you couldn't touch me, man. I keep up with just about anybody. Hell yeah, Johnny. So like, obviously towards the end of your career, Johnny, you were obviously pushing work. You got into the GF role. Did you enjoy that type of work? Obviously you said you like teaching, but being a GF is a whole nother animal, man. It's just like, there's a lot more stress and frustrations. Did you like, enjoy that part of the job? Absolutely. And you know, uh, and it's not like bragging or anything like that, but I always consider my name first and then the hall and then the company. Yeah. Uh, the last 10, 15 years that I worked, uh, let's say from 2008 on with extreme steel, one time I kind of for fun tallied up the, the, the contract dollars and all them years, all the jobs I ran was like $39 million in contract jobs. So even if it was a measly 0.1% that was profit, do the math. Yeah, exactly. So these companies a lot of money and help contribute. And I take pride in that. Did you ever like think about becoming like a, a apprenticeship teacher or anything, Johnny? I mean, was that ever in your cards? Uh, a couple of people have kind of tossed it around. My wife's been pushing me to do it for years. It's just so far away, and I, I, it's something like that. I think like these guys are doing now. You really got to give it your all. Yeah. And if I can't do that, I, I wouldn't want to do it. But uh, I don't have problems now. I've been talking to them. I'll come down, and you know, we could do guest things and talk about things. And if it'll help the younger crowd, I'm in for it. Hell yeah, brother! And so that kind of like uh, we're getting around to that half hour mark, Johnny. I don't want to take up your whole night, brother. But uh, just like I asked you about, like what you see, uh, where our trades at now, like. So if you were, if you could say something to a, maybe a high school kid, or let's just say somebody who's uh, unrepresented, who's doing non-union ironwork right now, what would you say to them about getting into our trade or becoming a union member? Uh, the biggest thing is the pension. You don't care about it when you're young. It's just like death. When you're young, you don't think about it. You're, you're invincible, this and that. But after 20, 30 years, you get beat up. It's either your knees, your back, or your shoulders. And in your mind can only carry you so far. So in the union thing, 30 years and 55, you're done. And you will appreciate it after them 30 years. I guarantee it. hundred percent. And then, so I know, I know iron workers right now, non-union have to work. They're, they're, they're 62 years old, still working with their freaking belt on because they don't have nothing. Yeah. And that, that, that still blows my mind, Johnny, as an organizer with my local right now, I, I mean, I talk to unrepresented workers all day, every day, you know what I mean? And it just still blows my mind that we're in 2024 now and, and people are still, some of these people still have this union propaganda bullshit that they have. I mean, we want, that's a whole nother story, but. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tragedy to be honest. And what it is, and the way I would put it is it's a Jedi mind trick, uh, you know, on yep. organized labor. And that's all it is. There's there's a misconception, just like now with the political scene, and that's another conversation itself. There's so many un, untrue facts and beliefs that are just wrong, and it's it's, it's crippled us. And the right to work laws have, have have done it, and that's what's really hurt the unions over the past forty years. Yep. And so, with that being said, Johnny, man, last question for you. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor for uh, last message, man. What would you tell the iron workers out there? Uh, uh, just whatever you'd like to say, man. Uh, the biggest thing is keep working and keep put all your raises in the pension and keep that pension alive for us old timers. Oh yeah. All right, brother, Johnny, I, I appreciate your time, sir, man. And, uh, um, I would love to reach out again, Johnny. We could just bullshit another time, brother. Absolutely. not. I've got another friend too, Kenny Edelblut. I mentioned there, uh, I'm going to give him your number and see if you can work him in too. He's, He's a big shot for American Bridge. He'd give you a lot more than I can give you. Johnny, I would I would love that, brother. I appreciate that, man. 
Yes, sir. All right. Well, have a good night, uh, everybody. I appreciate you listening. Have a good one and be safe.